Welcome to Rugged Theology, where we talk about church planting, theology, and drink coffee. Welcome to Rugged Theology. I am Adam Diamond, your host, and today we have a bit of a Sesame Street episode, kind of, you know, T is for total depravity. It's going to be a bit heavier, I think, than your typical Sesame Street episode. But today I have with me Mr. David Drover. Hi, everybody. And Mr. Stephen Da. Hello. So, guys, I brought you on today. Um, we are going to go through the main beliefs of Calvinists, which, you know, spells out TULIP. Right. You know, we have now, to be clear, mm-hmm. this is a very, this is the soteriology part of Calvinism. Yes. There are more implications to Calvinism, but this is the one that, if you're going to see arguments that happen, mm-hmm. this is the stuff we argue about. Yeah, and this is the stuff that gets a little bit you know, controversial the more we get into it. Mm-hmm. And so for the next few weeks, we'll be going through TULIP. So today is T is for total depravity. And I feel like being the Today's count, episode right? is brought to you by the letter T. Ah, ah, ah. No, that's the count, right? That's the count. Yeah. <laughs> Why can't there get be numbers? Get your Sesame Street characters right. <laughs> my kids, actually, yeah, I should get my kids watching Sesame Street. Anyways, <laughs> thanks, Steve. So um, <laughs> so we're going to talk about total depravity. So obviously we need to get started. For anyone listening, you might have heard it before and you might never have heard it before, mm-hmm. um, which is fair. I mean, it's not a common term you hear about from the pulpit. It's not like you're totally, totally depraved. Yes. And though there, there are, there are people who would agree with at least a permutation of it. Uh, it's mm-hmm. often uh, a similar doctrine is called original sin, the belief yeah. that we are in fact born sinful. Well, it's just a matter of, so that's what we'll work out today is like, what is that original sin? How does it affect us? Right. Um, and how does that apply to our salvation? Uh, so guys, let's just get right into it from here. What is total depravity? And like, what does it mean? When we say uh, we believe in total depravity, what are we essentially saying? I, I don't actually completely like the term total depravity. Of course you don't. I love it, but of course you don't. Well... The reason is because people tend to mis- misunderstand what it means from the word itself. Like to say totally depraved, it, you'd assume then that that means that we think you are completely evil in every way and you are the worst person, possible person you could be from the get-go, mm. which isn't technically what total depravity means. And just some clarification, I don't mean I love the term, I just mean I love the fact that you don't like the word. Because okay. Multiple times we bring things on here. You're like, I don't like that. I just love that. So. Okay. Well, I, uh, I'm I, I'm a persnickety individual, I guess. <laughs> I, I, I'm training to I be like a cr- I'm training to retire as a curmudgeon. <laughs> so. Yeah. So it's not the fact that we can't absolutely do any semblance of what people would deem good. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which is you know what I think what most people hear when they think of total right. depravity. So we're not saying that non-Christians can't, I don't know, be nice to people, that they can't actually love their children and love their spouses. They obviously can. That's not a question. Mm-hmm. The, uh, and nor are we saying that a person who is outside of Christ is, you know, completely evil, uh, somewhere akin to Hitler, uh, you know, some kind of cartoon villain twisting his mustache and tying uh, women to uh, railroad tracks waiting for the RCMP officer to come save them. That's not what we mean. This is where we need video for this podcast where I can twist my mustache and be like, <laughs> but we'll have to do that. We can get a camera <laughs> in or something. No, we don't. 
That's okay. <laughs> then Dave has to do his makeup. Uh, not he, doesn't really. have, he doesn't have a mustache. He can't twist it. Wait, yeah, you'll feel left out. Wait, this isn't on video? I, I didn't have to do my makeup? No, you didn't, buddy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Better luck next time, I guess. But Don't uh, try this at home, folks. Yeah. We're professionals. I hope, I hope you, I hope if you're listening to this, you know what to take seriously and what to not take seriously. Uh, but Dave did not do his makeup today. Um, so if that's not what we're saying, what are we saying when we're saying totally, totally depraved? And this is where I get the word that I would prefer. I'd, I'd kind of say something akin to thoroughgoing or complete depravity. It's not, mm. it, it's the sense that every facet of who we are is affected by the fall into sin. Um, we were born in sin, as the scriptures tell us. Uh, it says that in Adam, all die in First Corinthians. 15. Thank you. Yep. Um, you need to look it up. <laughs> go right ahead, brother. But <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it, it, it means that every facet of who we are is affected by the fall. Evil is something that affects everything we say, everything we do. Mm. And so it's not that there isn't some good in everything. It, it's that, and I mean, I always love that because people say, you know, well, there's some good in everything. Well, well, yeah, but uh, that, that means that almost everything's evil, which is exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. If there's only some good, that means there's also some evil. Well, if there's only some good, it's usually there's majority evil. Mm, there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so that, that makes sense because I brought this, I brought up a passage to you earlier, Steve, when I was, you know, going through this in my own head. Um, it's a part in Genesis 4, you know, just mm-hmm. after the fall. Uh, so when people argue about, you know, how depraved or how sinful are we, how separated are we from God, that kind of thing. After Cain and Abel make their sacrifices to God, um, so Genesis 4, uh, 4b, it starts off, uh, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, you will not. Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And you know, some would take that to mean that you know we're not totally depraved; that we have you know an option, we have a choice. Um, so how do we then? wrestle how do we you know deal with that passage if this is what we believe scripture is teaching well i think that uh the example there is a, is a very good one because the fact was when uh, a, uh when god has regard for abel's sacrifice and not for cain's mm-hmm. it comes from the fact that abel gives the best of the, the first fruits of his of his yep. and cain just gives whatever he had um gave some of his stuff to god which is, which is a big difference right like well, it, it seems like a big, it, it's a big difference in the response that God has, mm-hmm. but to us, it wouldn't necessarily seem like a huge deal. I mean, it's like, well, you know, at least he gave something. Mm-hmm. Well, like that, that, that's kind of the problem, because ultimately what was more important to Cain was the riches that he had, not the God who gave it to him. It's kind of like, and I'm, I'm assuming you guys have seen Pirates of the Caribbean. I know you have, Steve. Mm-hmm. Um, but when the, the two useless guys who are pirates, um, they're at the boat together, and one of them was reading the Bible. And I think you know what I'm talking about. He's re- he's like, are you reading the Bible? He's like, yeah. He's like, you can't even read. He's like, it's the Bible. You get credit for trying. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's, it's, it's along the same lines. We like to think that we get some sort of credit for at least trying. Right. And and, <laughs> yes. and and this gets right to the point of what what the problem is. I mean, 
the Bible will say, say be perfect as my as your Father in heaven is perfect. The ultimate desire for God, that God has for us is that we would actually be sinless. And I don't mean merely in the sense that, you know, uh, we are counted sinless, but that we actually are sinless, that we don't sin, that is. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, some people, we can get into questions of sinless perfectionism and all that kind of stuff, but the fact is, we all have sin in our lives. There are ways that we, and to be honest, there are things that we do that we think are pretty good, which are honestly still a little bit sinful, as we can see with Cain's sacrifice. It's good to sacrifice to God. Mm-hmm. And and I think an important part of this too is, as people we have, like we are sinners, and like there's, um, what am I trying to say here? There's like, there's a difference between just committing sins and then being overall having a sinful heart. Like, right. Right. And this is what we see in just to put some Bible to this too, in Romans chapter three, um, verses nine onward a little bit. So he says, what then are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have all, for we've already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin. Right. So, I mean, he's specifically talking about the Jew Greek, but the point is that everybody, no matter what nation you are, no matter where you're right. from, you are under sin. And then he keeps going as it is written. Now, just, I mean, it gets pretty blunt here. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Yeah. And of course, that's quoting Old Testament scripture to mm-hmm. make the point. And of course, when he says Jews and Greeks, he means Jews and not Jews, not just you know people who happen to be from right. Greece. So everybody, right? Yeah, yeah. So the way to look at that, you know, we looking at this fact that we can do some semblance of good, right? What the world would deem good. Um, that's what God is saying there, right? Right. Like you know the difference now between right and wrong. I mean, it was a knowledge of it was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right. Right. So you know now the difference between what's right and what's wrong. So do what's right. Right. And aim to do that. Don't let sin get a, a grip on your heart where it absolutely controls you. And you're just like, I'm just going to live according to that desires and not pay any right. attention to what I know to be good. And of course, this gets to a central distinction that I think Christians need to understand. A lot of people say you're a sinner because you sin. That's not what Christians believe. Mm -mm. Christians would believe you sin because you are a sinner. You have a desire to sin. You have desires that are... And when I say desire to sin, I say you you have desires that are contrary to the desires that God would have for your life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's sin. I mean, even if it feels good to us, even if everybody around you says it's a pretty good thing, even if everybody says it's a laudable thing, that doesn't mean it's something that's acceptable to God. And and two, this, this might be a good thing to throw out there as well. I mean, all of this comes from, as Adam was kind of talking about, the fall and, and the, the knowledge of good and evil right. and the fact that they ate the fruit and they weren't supposed to. And somebody listening to this right now might be kind of thinking, well, guys, I mean, doesn't that seem a bit ridiculous that just because they ate a fruit, that means that every person is therefore now under sin? And I think, I mean, I think it's, it's a good question to ask, but in reality, it, you have to understand what the significance of them eating the fruit was. 
okay, well, almost every sin can be put down to something like that. Oh no, I didn't kill him. I just pressed this little button on a, on a, this little handle on a gun that, you know, brought the trigger forward and, and put the hammer on a bullet into somebody else's brain. That's actually, you know, you pull the trigger and mm-hmm. that's, that's sin. Yeah. But, but I mean, but, we, we, we do have a, a tendency to minimize sin. I mean, the, let's put it in the other context of what was happening in the Garden of Eden. Uh, it wasn't that, you know, they, it wasn't merely that they were eating a fruit. It was they were distrusting the God of the universe who told, who has never lied to them ever. Mm-hmm. Yep. And listening to a snake that was supposed to be uh, one of the things that they had uh, dominion over. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were uh, deciding that, and they fell to specifically the temptation to be like God. So essentially they figured, oh, well, you know, we, we can be like God. Mm-hmm. They, and, de- they wanted to dethrone God and be God themselves. Right, which is rebellion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to and, be just to get how laughable that is, these, these creatures of dust decided that they were going to overthrow the king of the universe. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, we all do the same. Right. We are under mm-hmm. sin, as as. Jesus says in John 8, I think John 8 is another great, great place for this. Um, just hit me five yeah, seconds. Yeah, and while you're looking there. for that, Dave, it's um, we're not saying, again, though, that it's possible, yes, for us to do some good, but again, that's not enough for you to be saved. Right. And of right. course, the other thing, too, is going to be that we are going to be the poor judges of what is good and what is bad. Mm-hmm. But also, just because I do a couple of good things doesn't mean I'm good. Right. I'm still under sin. I can still right. do good things, but ultimately... I'm under sin, as Paul says in Romans 3. Um, and as I found it here in John chapter 8, um, Jesus says, you know, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Right. So, I mean, it's funny. I, I love this passage because it's just so, um, I mean, it's pretty blunt um, and it's pretty hard hitting, but I think those are often good things in the Bible because, I mean, think about, the relationship that a slave has with its master, right? Right. So if sin is our master, a slave doesn't get to not obey. Right. A slave doesn't get to do something different. It obeys its master every, you know, it, it just does. That's what it is. And that's what Jesus is saying, that we are, if we are, if we practice sin, then we are slave to sin. Right. Um, and the only way to be set free is a few verses town is to be, you know, is through the sun. If the sun sets you free, you can be free indeed. Um, and then even continuing on in that in that statement, I mean, he just gets more and more blunt um, as he talks to the Jews. Um, just going down to... Um, sorry, let me find it here. <laughs> we'll give you some Yeah, time. so he, he says in verse 44, You are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does, from the beginning, mm-hmm. and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear me is that you are not of God. And that's kind of harsh, but it's it, it gets to the center point of what we're trying to say here. There is a fundamental difference 
between what it is to be in Adam and to be in Christ. And one of those fundamental differences is, well, a heart that is devoted towards God or a heart that is devoted towards yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, this is why when we get a little further into this, we're going to have to deal with things like conversion and why it's different than just making a decision for Jesus. Um, why uh, salvation is about a heart change fundamentally and not actually about, you know, specifically what you did at a, on a specific Sunday, uh, uh, you know, 30 odd years ago. Mm-hmm. It's about who God is and where your heart is with relation to this God. And the point of total depravity is your heart is opposed to God. Mm-hmm. And it's not just saying some you know, special words or a prayer, uh, but as you know, this little series continues, we'll get into that. Uh, but going back quickly to good, I mean, even Jesus himself said um, in Mark 10, when the rich uh, young ruler or the rich young man came to him and said, you know, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Mm-hmm. So there we have Jesus himself saying, like, no one is good except God. Right. But yet so often we'll say, I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. Like, good people go to hell, go to heaven, sorry, and you know, bad people go to hell. You know? Yeah, and of course that's actually uh, what's called an error of equivocation. Mm-hmm. We're using two different terms for good here. Like, we, we think that when we say, good, uh, you know, good people go to heaven. I actually agree with that. Good people do go to heaven. There's only Except ever been nobody's good. <laughs> there's only been one good person, and he did actually go to heaven. Yep. Uh, so, <laughs> yes, I agree with that point. But the issue is going to be good has a different meaning when we deal with it in the colloquial mm-hmm. matter of what we're talking about here. When I say that I'm a good person, I'm I'm hopefully, if I'm going to be accurate, simply saying I'm I'm okay morally and uh, ethically at the moment here on earth as re- with relation to other humans of which I know in my own culture. I'm not saying that I am objectively good. Now, guys, very quickly, um, let's look a little bit more in Scripture. We've gotten a lot, um, but where else can we see in Scripture that total depravity is you know, an accurate um, theology to hold about the human condition? Well, I mean, John chapter 6 would say, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. I mean, that's Jesus there directly saying, you're not going to come to Jesus unless the Father gives you the power to. Mm -hmm. Um, You are not capable of it. Uh, Where is it that says, um, uh, oh, good grief, Uh, you can't without faith. It is impossible to please God. That's that's in Hebrews. I think so. It's in Hebrews. Uh, that's another. Uh, that's another point there, uh, which again, you know, goodness will please God. God. I mean, that's what the point of most of the pro- uh, Old Testament prophets is. If you do the right, if you do the good, God will love you, and God will. <laughs> but the fact is, none of us do the good because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Mm-hmm. Um, no, and Scripture says no one seeks God. Right. Multiple times. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, there, there's obviously lots of room here to see the fact that we are dead in our sin. I mean, you have, well, Ephesians 2, right? It, it literally sin. says we are dead in our sin. And again, the word there means dead. Da, 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 like it, it's dead. Yep. There's no getting around that you are absolutely dead in your sin. And that's what makes you a sinner. 
mm-hmm. right? Your your bad actions, doing these wrong things, don't make you a sinner. You are a sinner in your heart, which makes you sin. Yeah. So why is it then important to believe in total depravity? Like, what do we end up with if we don't believe in this? I mean, there are other denominations, other um, groups of churches that believe in different variations of total depravity. But for the majority, well, actually, no, a, an Orthodox Christian would believe in total depravity. Well, at least in some form of this. Yes, yes. Because the fact is, the the big thing that's at, at issue here is going to be whether or not we actually need salvation in Jesus Christ to be acceptable to God. Because the simple fact is, and here's the implication, if we are naturally good, or even naturally neutral, Mm -hmm. it is theoretically possible for us to live a holy, sinless life. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I think to believe in depravity is a must. Right. Whether or not you think it's total, that's where there's a bit of wiggle room in the sense that it's thoroughgoing again, not that it's the yeah. worst that would possibly be. Because, I mean, there are some implications that I would actually say are difficult, but not heretical. Like, for example, mm-hmm. one of the things that I would believe is that uh, total depravity means that all facets of who we are is sinful, which would include things like our reason. Mm-hmm. So our reason is, I actually, you know, when you look at things like uh, logic or reasonability or those kinds of things, I don't think there's anybody objective and so people will use their own mental faculties to get to the conclusions they want to get to. Yeah. Well, I think another one, and actually it might be a good time for us to even comment on this too, is that, I mean, another position that I wouldn't say is heretical, but is is far different from what we believe, is that we can just choose, that we choose God. Well. Um, and in some ways we do. So, sorry, I shouldn't say that. But we have the free will to choose God. Um, now, of course, there's. Again, there, I terms. have to be careful here because there's two ways that that can be taken. Well, exactly. So that's why I say maybe we should comment on because there's a way where you can say that that is actually you know at least somewhat ex- uh, within the realm of uh, orthodoxy, and that would be mm-hmm. that though we were uh, born sinful, God would bring us to the position where we are capable of making a decision between the right and the wrong. That's what's called uh, Arminianism. That's the Arminian position mm-hmm. on. On this, but if you think that independent of God's action, you can come to save, saving faith. If you don't need God at all to choose the good and not the evil, mm-hmm. then you're actually espousing a heresy called Pelagianism. Not only that, I mean, we see that in society today where people don't think they need saving. Right. Um, People think that they can probably find their own way to God or their own way to a higher power or some sort. Right. Uh, but these people also believe that they get to determine what is right and wrong. Right. That they are the ultimate authority, which goes right back to the garden of being God, taking him off the throne. Um, and if we don't believe this, I mean, it's not it's not saying it's a slippery slope, but I mean, there's nothing to stop you from going to the point where you can say, I get to determine what's right and wrong. Right. I don't need God to get to him. I can get to God myself on my own terms. Exactly. And the the problem with that is going to be pretty pretty stark because then you're going to be starting to say things like I don't need to know Jesus. You're going to start imagining that uh there is no such thing as the fall. And to be honest, then you're going to actually get into some even really worse things when it comes to the people around you because the only reason that the person that's next to you is doing something that you see is wrong is because well that must be just an evil person unlike me, who's a good person. Mm-hmm. And of course, 
one of the problems is that you've get, you've made yourself the definer of all things good. So disagreement itself becomes a basis for believing that the person next to you is evil. And we see that functioning today, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it even goes back to where we find ourselves in society, not just defining good and evil, but um, people who say that, you know, our morals and everything is all just cultural norms or mm-hmm. like it's it's a form of our culture, right? right? What I think is necessarily true and is just and good now, a hundred years later, could be the most evil thing that someone has ever thought up of. Right. And so within your culture, whatever you do is right and good and noble, or whatever you, or whatever your culture accepts as right and good and noble is what the, is what's right and good and noble. But what outside of it? So you'll end up with some crazy academics actually saying things like, well, was Hitler wrong during World War II? Well, not in his context, but he is wrong, objectively. Well, let's say I walk into a, you know, a group of a, a tribe of cannibals. Right. Um, I'm not going to think they're right in any sense when they start eating me. No. <laughs> now, of course, part of that might be, you know, so, uh, so desire for self-preservation. But, I mean, you should probably also be a little bit annoyed when they start eating the person next to you. As long as you eat them first. No. <laughs> How do we get here? <laughs> but but this, does get to a, this does get to a very central problem within, within our society. We imagine that because that we, either individually or we as some subset of the culture, can define what is right. Mm-hmm. And so because we define what is right, then by definition, whatever disagrees with us is wrong. And then it becomes even more acceptable for us to do dehumanizing, depersonalizing things to people who disagree with us. I mean, this is why you see, I don't know, I I mean, have you ever been on Twitter or seen Facebook or these debates that happen between different groups of people? Like, they don't actually just, you know, deal with the issues generally. They generally, you know, say, we, this group here is acceptable and here's the acceptable thing that we all believe. And those guys over there, whether that be the liberals or the conservatives or the Democrats or the Republicans or the Christians or the atheists or whatever group that I'm not part of, Mm. they're just evil. Yep. And Twitter is really bad for it. Twitter can get really dark and really nasty. Um, Really fast. And it's funny. It's so funny that we'll be so quick to call ourselves good people, but then we're so quick to go for the gut shot, go for the low, low ball hit, on people when, especially on social media, when there's no real repercussions, that's when you see someone's real right. character and nature. But again, this is partially because, and it goes back to the fact that we don't tend to believe that we are, well, evil in any sense. Mm-hmm. We imagine that evil is something that runs out of ourselves. That there is, a, uh, Alexander Sholonitsyn in the Gulag Archipelago wrote a really good uh, phrase, and I, can't prob- I probably won't get it right. But he was talking about the way that all of these people who, you know, were actually focusing on doing the right thing. They wanted a good, a noble utopia for all people in the Soviet Union. And why did they end up in this horrible thing where they they started throwing people who disagreed with them in these gulags and killing millions for the sake of their utopia? Well, it, it gets pretty simple. It would be nice if we imagined that the line between good and evil was somewhere outside of us. Mm. And we tend to believe that it is. 
rather the line between good and evil runs between within every human heart, mm-hmm. which means we ourselves need to be clear that we are not trustworthy when it comes to our definition of what is right and what is wrong. Mm-hmm. We need to be fully correctable. Mm-hmm. And denying total depravity, well, it gets down to the point of, at least at some level, us saying that we have something that we cannot be corrected on. And it yeah. is the reason why we start with total depravity, you know, why it starts with T for TULIP. Um, because without... Well, fits the acronym very well. <laughs> well, there, there's that reason. But there's also, we need something to be saved from, right? Absolutely. Like, not not because, like, I woke up someday, but, man, I just need a savior, but that means I gotta create something to be saved from. No, if Jesus is the Son of God, if, if what the Bible says is true, and that he had to die, he had to suffer then there has to be something for us to be saved from. Right. And that's basically from ourselves, from the sin in our lives, from the sin that has corrupted us. And this is why it's so important to hold this belief, or at least some semblance of total depravity. Right. Yeah. You can't be saved from something you're not endangered by. Yeah. I mean, this is, in effect, the bad news for us um, in a lot of ways. And also just to throw in some scripture backing to what Steve said about hold the idea of we often think that evil is outside of us, but not within. I mean, if you go read Mark chapter seven, Jesus speaks pretty clearly about that. And he says, you know, he's talking to a bunch of religious people who have all these rules and laws and mm-hmm. traditions. And I shouldn't say laws. I mean, the, God's law is a good thing, but all these traditions that they made. Um, and he says, boys, you're getting it wrong. Yeah. It's what comes from within that is evil. So anyways. Um, yeah. Uh, I'll, if you're listening, I'll leave you with uh, Ephesians 2, 1 to 4, uh, 1 to 3. Verse 4 is where we'll get into in the rest of these, um, this series. But 1 to 3. So this is the state of mankind before God. And it says, You were dead in, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is not a good situation for us to find ourselves in. To be dead in our sins, to be walking according to the powers of Satan, to be a disobedience, to only live for the passion of our flesh and to be by, by nature, by our very nature, children of wrath, of God's wrath. That's where mankind finds themselves before God. And you can read on, but, you know, so starting at verse 4 is where the rest of Tulip will pick up and uh, you would see how God intervened. And you, I'm hoping that by going through this series, you'll, you'll come to understand in regards to salvation, what it is that Calvinists believe. Because if you're in Newfoundland, I know it's a strange thing. There's very few Calvinists um, around, and it's a strange thing. It's like, you believe what? Like, how can you believe that? So I'm hoping that this will help you, help take you through what it is that we believe and what it is um, that Scripture says in regards to this. Yeah, I guess that would be my only last comment, Adam, on what you're saying, is that it's not... For anybody listening who might not have heard about Calvinism before, this whole tulip or total depravity or whatever, don't get caught up in the names and the acronyms and make it this is what they believe versus what this is what I believe. But look at the passages that we referenced. Look at what the Bible says as a whole and see what you think it says about who we are as people. 
Yeah. Um, and ultimately, I mean, I think this, this is the model we have here at the office. Know what you believe and why you believe it and be able to support that with the Bible, not mm. based on feelings, not based on opinions or just even the person that you respect's opinion, but well, the Word and, of God. And be willing to d- take out your Bible and just look at the texts. I mean, and I'd, I'd even go so far as to recommend, take out the texts, look at it, read the chapters, read the things, and, you know, find out what, uh, what uh, might disagree with that. Mm-hmm. But the issue is that you should really look into the Word of God to figure this out. And, th- and th- this is one of the things that, you know, is fought at by, well, total depravity. We we want you to actually be corrected, but we want our, all of us to be corrected by the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's it for T is for total depravity. Catch us next week. Uh, Sesame, no, <laughs> catch us next week for U is for unconditional election. Uh, Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again in a week's time. You have been listening to Rugged Theology. Rugged Theology is a podcast of Mile One Mission. If you'd like to know more about Mile One Mission and our work in Newfoundland, please visit us at www.mileonemission.ca.